Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a crowd podcast. We all know cricket, right? Cucumber sandwiches, clean whites, a gentleman's game played by gentlemen, right? Wrong. Not when it's Hansi Kronje. He was South Africa's captain, endorsed by a president. But he was also a scam artist, mixing with criminals. His story has lies, greed, bribery, threats, corruption and more. But none of that's mentioned. Not where we start his story. At the end. As the coffin arrives, it's met by a guard of honour. Boys stand shoulder to shoulder, clasping their hands in front of them. They bow their heads. Some wipe away tears. A bouquet of flowers sits on top of the coffin. There's a portrait of the man inside, Hansi Kronje. Voices are trembling with emotion. Faces are staring back from the packed hall. More watch on screens outside. The same pictures flicker in living rooms around the country. At the end of the service, Hansi's wife adds a single rose on the coffin. A hymn strikes up, a jaunty war song urging Christian soldiers onward to stiffen their resolve and march on. The congregation walk out in silence, and outside, in the weak winter sun, another tune starts. Children start singing. In young, clear voices, they lament a fallen hero. They promise to carry his memory into the future. And Hansi's wife, who has held herself together so far, trembles slightly and closes her eyes. It's the funeral of a great man. That's certainly what it looks like. The final reckoning of a life firmly in credit. A lot of pain, but no debate. A sad, early end to a simple, good story. But here's the thing. Your view depends on where you stand. What you see depends on the eyes you look through. Proximity is not always the best perspective. Hansi is captain of his country, a leader of men, a follower of God. All true. But there is more. Hansi is a liar, a cheat, A man who preys on others' weaknesses to feed his greed. Also true. Two visions of one man. Two sides to his story. Hansi knows it well, that gulf between his truths. 
he knows the balance he must strike. To keep the public persona from the private conversations, to keep the headline performances from the whispered promises, to keep the light from the dark. If he slips, if the facade falls, there is no going back. Not when you have as many faces as Hansi. Not with a history as long as South Africa's. If the two worlds collide, things become complicated and fast. The simple stories we tell at funerals start to fall apart. The debate outlives the life. There is no full stop. There is no final reckoning. Just more questions and no one left to answer. The memorial service is at Grey College. His final resting place is the place that formed him. Grey College was Hansi's school. But school doesn't do it justice. It's an institution. If you went there, you're marked by it. If you didn't, you've already formed an opinion of it. It's in Bloemfontein, a high-altitude city, deep inland. The air's thin and tradition is laid thick. It's a place where the white Afrikaner minority gets closest to a majority. And the same thing that mattered to their Dutch settler ancestors matter to Hansi and his family. A young Afrikaans boy in Bloemfontein is taught to work hard, play hard and pray hard. Sturdy values handed down from farming forefathers. Men who survived through earthy toil and divine grace. That settler struggle is replayed around the city but rather than plough farm fields, young men want to tear up sports pitches. Young rugby players and cricketers proving themselves and improving themselves. Living up to an ideal, fitting in with a culture. Physical excellence somehow a sign of inner moral strength. Hansi's garden is big, almost as big as his dreams. Out there, he and his brother imagine what it would be like to make it, to become a professional. Rugby tackles fly in, cricket balls clear the fence, epic contests watched only by their mother at the kitchen window. Those games aren't in the backyard, not in Hansi's mind. They're in full stadiums, against the world's best. Hansi's ability still setting him apart. One evening at the dinner table, Hansi's younger sister bets they can't keep conversation off sport for the whole meal. Their father can't help his sons. He played cricket for Free State, their province. Now he's a coach, still immersed in the game. Time ticks slowly. Small talk about the weather peters out. Cutlery clangs on plates. And after two uneasy minutes, they crack. Hansi's sister has her money. At Grey College, no one takes sport off the table. The finest players are boy kings. Their names are etched in gold on oak panels. Their praises are sung by crowds of thousands. Their victories written up in national newspapers. And Hansi might be the finest sportsman Grey has ever produced. Maybe their finest pupil full stop. He's captain of the rugby team and the cricket team. He's head boy. His thick, dark hair and fixed, wide smile beam out of team photographs and class pictures. Front and centre every time. There's a statue Hansi walks past every day at school. 
It's not of a person, but of two hands. They're locked together in a handshake, but not one you'd recognize. On each hand, the index and middle finger are extended, the ring and little finger tucked back towards the palm. You can't see who these disembodied hands belong to, and maybe that's the point. It doesn't matter whose they are. That they know the grey college handshake, the way its boys, young and old, greet each other at school and long after, is enough. It's a shorthand for a shared worldview, a unity, a common identity. And Hansi feels it too. An exceptionalism, an entitlement. How some people are right because of who they are, not what they do. It's got to be there. And how else do you justify what's happening around you? How do you understand a history that follows a fight to break free of the British Empire with the systematic oppression of a black majority? The times are changing, though. Hansi scores his first hundred at senior level when he's 20. It's against an English team, but not England. There's a difference. There has to be. Apartheid South Africa is a country cast out by the sporting world, and so a collection of rebels place money over morals dodge protests and awkward questions to fill out fixtures in South Africa. Twelve days after Hansi scores that careful 104 against these unloved tourists, an elderly Nelson Mandela begins a short walk to freedom. Mandela, now 71, is driven to the gates of Victor Verster prison. He climbs out, links arms with his wife Winnie, and, raising a fist in salute, strides purposefully into a new era. Mandela has not been seen for 27 years. The government haven't released any photos during his imprisonment. In the meantime, he's become a spectre, a man who takes on the form of dreams and nightmares, a dangerous terrorist who will ruin the country, they say, in wealthy white suburbs, a saviour to deliver justice and prosperity, they say, in the poor townships. In truth, no one knows. Mandela's walk from those prison gates leads him all the way to the president's office. The end of apartheid brings South Africa back into global sport. And at home, it's a tool for healing wounds. Hansi's made captain of his country in the same year Mandela's elected. For Mandela, their difference is a strength. The rainbow nation only works if the whole spectrum stands together. And he stands with Hansi. Mandela writes to Kronje several times, the whole nation will be with you, he scrawls on headed paper, and he signs off in Hansi's Afrikaans. That vision is easier than the details, though. High ideals get dragged down by grubby realities on the ground. The iconic shot of a white captain being embraced by a black president? It's less inspiring if you zoom out, and the rest of the team's still white. It feels like little has changed. The football team has Lucas Radaby, a tall, elegant defender from Soweto. The rugby team has Chester Williams, a small, scurrying winger from the Western Cape. And the cricket team? That's less easy to say. There's Micaiah Antini. He's a fast bowler, the son of a shepherd in the Eastern Cape. As a kid, he can't afford shoes. So he warms his shoeless feet in fresh cow pads. A world away from the Blumfontein and Hansi's childhood. He wins a scholarship. He blossoms in school's cricket, 
He's fast-tracked into the South African team. It's a young man fulfilling a country's new promise. But for Hansi, as captain, it's against everything he knows. For him, the big picture doesn't matter. Not as much as the ideals he learned at Grey College anyway. Game only comes with graft. When sport, when selection means so much, there is no shortcut for anyone, no matter the politics, no matter the picture. He resigns the South African captaincy, the role his whole life has been bent towards. Or at least he tries to. He's coaxed, cajoled and persuaded. South Africa's cricket officials say they value his leadership. They quietly fret over the controversy his departure would bring. And Hansi finally decides to stay. Ntini's in the team. But he's in limbo. He eats alone. He waits in vain for a knock on his hotel door for an invite to mix. He starts jogging from the hotel to the ground whenever South Africa play. Not for the exercise, but for the isolation. He can't face being sat at the back of the bus, rows separating him from his white teammates at the front. A colour barrier imposed by silence and stealth. And Hansi's captain. Ten years on from his century against a rebel English team, it's him calling the toss against the real thing. But by the final day, the game is dead. Heavy rain on the high vault has washed away any chance of a result. All that is left is to go through the motions. Back in the England dressing room, the star bowler is crouched over a toilet bowl. He's been out drinking the night before. And why not? After all, he's just going to trot in gently, sweat out the excess and see out the inevitable draw. And then, as the teams stroll gently out, Hansi shouts a question to the England wicketkeeper. He asks, Do you fancy a game today? Do you want a game? What sportsman doesn't? A chance to play hard rather than soft pedal. It takes a little bending of the rules, a gentleman's agreement, a handshake and a nod. Hansi meets with the England captain. They each agree to give up an innings, to compress the match, to reignite the contest, to entertain the crowd, to turn an inevitable draw into a definite result. It's never been done before, but people don't ask why Hansi wants to do it. The question is, why not? It's bold, it's audacious, it's exactly what cricket needs. This is what Nasser Hussain, the England captain, says about it. This is what he makes of Hansi's offer. A great gesture. I hope he gets the praise from everyone for his efforts. What Hussein doesn't realise is the plan isn't his and Hansi's creation. Not entirely. There's a meeting before the meeting. A night before the day. A third man in on the plan. The day before, a light blinks on a switchboard. A call comes through to another great South African cricket ground. The man on the other end is a regular caller. He usually wants the ground staff to talk about the pitch or the conditions. Not today. Today he's got a different request. He's polite, charming, but insistent. He wants Hansi. He's an old friend chasing a new number. It's like that in 2000. Everyone's getting mobile phones. It's hard to keep up with all the new ways to catch up. So. He gets it, and he rings it. But he's not an old friend of Hansi at all. He's a man knocking with a new opportunity. A few hours later, he strides up to the Santan Sun Hotel in Johannesburg. 
He walks through its shining doors. He nods at the front desk and strides up to Hansi's room. The man is Marlon Aronsdam. His business is bookmaking, and his plan is to rig the result of a test match. What's in it for Marlon? The details are never clear, but they don't need to be. A draw seems inevitable. If Hansi agrees, if Nasser Hussein is convinced, it becomes nearly impossible. A massive shift in the betting market. And when the market moves, it leaks money, particularly for those in the know. What's in it for Hansi? That's easier. 50,000 rand. About 5,000 pounds. Marlon delivers it at breakfast, over a buffet of pastries and fruit. Two envelopes packed tight with notes. And a little extra. Marlon has a present for Hansi, a leather jacket. He helps Hansi into it. Over the same shoulders that have borne the South Africa cricket team blazer and a nation's hope, Marlon hangs the jacket. The price of a betrayal. It all seems so easy. And it is. In cricket's long history, there has never been a time like it. It's a time when the internet is new. Everyone knows it will change everything, but nobody quite knows how. It's a gold rush, the dot-com bubble. Investors plough in money, hoping to get it in the ground floor. More often, they throw their cash into a bottomless pit instead. Betting is one of the only ways the new technology delivers old-fashioned cash profits. Now, you can offer odds to anyone, anywhere, on anything at any time. Spread betting, where vast amounts can be won or lost on a tiny part of a cricket match, lures in high rollers and no-hopers. And mobile phones, like Hansi's, give a direct, discreet hotline to the players that matter most. Cricket's authorities, those who organise the game, are looking the other way, into the past. They rest easy on cricket's grand traditions of sportsmanship and fair play. They don't see the coming storm. Hansi and Marlon playing out time and again, but with different names, different teams, more money. Players, many born in poverty, given the chance to cash in their principles. They don't see the game that has emerged within the game, the cash that flows between the surface, that silently fills Hansi's many bank accounts in South Africa and the Cayman Islands, the other offshore accounts belonging to other famous names that also swell fat on secret deals. We'll talk about them after this short break. This is the story of Whitney Houston, of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. That feeling. That feeling. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. An unfortunate love of money. That's what Hansi Cronje calls it. Delicate words to describe a deadly sin. You might call it something else. Everyone else does. It's greed. And in a Cape Town library, the books have been cleared away to lay it all out. Two worlds have collided. Hansi's public face is confronting his private crimes. From sandwich boards around the city, he stares out. The front pages show a man a long way from the boy. The bright eyes and confident smile are gone. 
the cricket whites replaced by a black suit. His brows furrowed, his manner awkward, his voice flat. It was a gift that got him. Not the leather jacket, but a mobile phone a few months later. Hansi accepts it, uses it on a tour of India, talks, scams, but the police are listening in. Initially, Hansi denies it. He's furious, indignant. He says he is stunned. He says he wants to be absolutely clear. He denies the allegations 100%. They are, he says, completely without foundation. They are rubbish, he says. Forged at the finest school, trusted with the nation's hopes, endorsed by the president himself, Hansi says he couldn't have. He puts his weighty reputation on the scales. He invites the nation to balance the probabilities. The media back home in South Africa back the skipper. And then, at 3am, the roof falls in on that house of cards. The head of the South African cricket board is woken by a phone call. It's Hansi, and suddenly he's a lot less certain. Hansi's opening words are careful and quiet. I have not been entirely honest with you, he says. It all unravels, and fast. Hansi is offered immunity from prosecution, but to avoid jail, he must take the stage. He has to tell all at a hearing in the middle of Cape Town. After the camera lenses stop snapping and Hansi takes his seat on the first day, the judge in charge quotes from John's Gospel. He gives Hansi a simple instruction from a book he knows well. The judge tells Hansi, the truth shall set you free. The greed's the truth. His teammates have seen it for years. Not always the bungs and backhanders, not just the accumulation, but also the reluctance to spend. On foreign trips, he'd skip the fancy dinners for fast food joints. When it's his round at the bar, Hansi goes missing. Back home, an envelope of cash would buy half an hour of his time to impress your corporate clients. He would charge young players for the sponsor's kit he was given for free. Always an angle, always a buck to make. Collecting rand like he would collect runs, amassing a total, improving his score, proving himself, validating his life. But a conspiracy makes a community. Some experiences bond you, some lies tie you, and not always to the people you choose. Hansi tries to recruit some teammates. The few players of colour are often targets. Did he sense their vulnerability emotionally, financially? Does the atmosphere in Hansi's team make them more likely accomplices? Up the chain, where the shadows deepen, they certainly sense Hansi's weakness. As he takes more money, they ask for more, and less politely. In hotel rooms before big games, his phone rings. It rings late into the night and into the early morning. They need more return, more influence over the play, more skin in the game. Or instead, they could cut him loose, sell him out, discard him, disgrace him, and move on while the public tear over the carcass of his career. Hansi fears even worse. After each humiliating day at the hearing, he retreats to a friend's house rather than his own. 
Away from the media, away from the neighbours. But is it far away from those who have more to lose? One night in this unfamiliar house, the lights suddenly cut out. The world is plunged into darkness. Hansi fumbles frantically, trying to arm himself, trying to hide. This is how it ends, he thinks. Those who live in the shadows are coming for him in the night. It's only a minute or two. It's only a power cut. It happens all the time in South Africa. But when the lights come back up, Hansi is soaked in sweat, panting in fear. When the hearing eventually finishes, Hansi walks out of the final day of evidence into a side room and collapses to the floor in tears. In the next few weeks, banned from cricket, holed up behind the gates of a luxury resort, he thinks about the arc of his life. The soaring rise, the precipitous fall, and where it goes next, if anywhere. He thinks suicide might be an escape from the shame, some show of contrition. This is what he thought to himself. This is what he says the devil on his shoulder whispers. Hansi, you've fallen so far anyway. A few more feet won't matter. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Greed leads to his demise, but not in the way Hansi fears in those fevered nights. He leaves cricket behind. He starts work as a finance manager for a company that makes tractors and diggers. One rainy afternoon, he misses a flight back from Johannesburg to his resort home. He could sit it out. He could rebook. He could take the hit, drink coffee and lick wounds in the airport. But Hansi always has the angles worked out, a favour to call in. Instead, he makes use of an arrangement, an understanding. A small charter airline will let him fly free in their cargo planes in exchange for him putting up the pilots at his house. So he climbs aboard the small twin propeller plane and it rises into the mist and rain, never to return to tarmac. Instead, as the two pilots attempt the tricky approach to their destination, the plane ploughs into a frozen mountainside. It's a small plane. It's an unmanned airport and a remote crash site. For many hours, Hansi is missing rather than dead. His wife travels to the airport, hoping against hope. His father races back from a hunting trip. Radio reports swirl, gossip spreads. Once again, the question's the same. It couldn't be true, could it? Not Hansi. But it is. Hansi's body is found, largely unmarked, still strapped to his seat on the mountainside. Unlike the Delhi police's recordings of Hansi's phone calls, the tapes from the cockpit's voice recorder are soon made public. It seems like a combination of pilot fatigue, conditions and unfortunate coincidence. But the evidence doesn't lead everyone to the same truth. That's not how it works now. Diana, Marilyn, JFK, sudden deaths, 
breed strange theories. And if the yarn is a good one, browsers turn believers online. Fiction and fact swallowed together and endlessly recycled and jumbled. The plane was sabotaged. The landing system at the airport was tampered with. Hansi's underworld contacts had finally dragged him to Earth. His burial is keeping others' sins hidden. Everyone has their own truth about Hansi, his life and his death. And in South Africa, truth allows reconciliation. Sometimes, anyway. It's a nation that knows how to compartmentalise the past. How to confess, absolve, if not forget. How to carry crosses on its back and still face forward. For some, Hansi's never forgiven. One newspaper columnist writes a headline across the front of his paper the day after the hearing finishes. In big, bold letters, it reads, Fuck you, Hansi Kronje. Fuck you. For him, the taint of betrayal can never be cleansed. But for others, particularly those who share his roots, Hansi becomes beautified, defied, restored back to his pedestal, and then lifted higher. Before he dies, Hansi blames the devil for his downfall. He faxes a confession to his church. He writes, I allowed Satan and the world to dictate terms to me. The moment I took my eyes off Jesus, my whole world turned dark. To his supporters, that's it. That's the truth. Hansi's a great and righteous man. He has fallen victim to temptation, been laid low by foreigners and besmirched by media. There's a rumour that one of his teammates tipped off the police, that Hansi was betrayed by one of his followers and then sacrificed to appease the mob. A brief mistake is allowed to overshadow a great Afrikaans life. After all, the unspoken argument goes, wasn't the greatest South African of all also a convicted terrorist? Hansi's image is printed on t-shirts. His portrait hangs on walls. There's even a plan to build a memorial in his honour out of the plane wreck that killed him. That memorial doesn't quite happen. But surrounded by sports fields and old institutions, under the constant Blumfontein sun, there is a brass plaque. It's a grey college on a granite wall of remembrance. It bears Hansi's name and marks his grave. And it remains forever untarnished, untouched by other truths. This episode of Death of a Sports Star was written by Mike Henson and performed by me, Tom Price. It was edited by Charlie Frost. For research, we used the archives of Crick Info, The Guardian, The Telegraph and News 24. We also listened to BBC Radio 5 Live's documentary, The Hansi Kronje Story, and watched Paul Yule's film, Not Cricket, The Captain and the Bookmaker. The music we used is from our partners, BMG Production Music. If you enjoyed this episode, there are more you can listen to. Try Philip Hughes, the Aussie batting prodigy who seems set for stardom before one ball changed everything. Or Vetus Gerolitis, the New York tennis star who lived as large as the Times Square billboards. And we have another series called Death of a Rockstar, which is about Freddie Mercury, Amy Winehouse, Michael Jackson and more. Check that out by searching for Death of a Rockstar in your podcast app. Thanks for listening. Network.
a place where you belong. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along The Planted Runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 